Do you remember, um, you remember this question from your childhood? What do you want to be when you grow up? Anybody? Any, what, anybody? What do you want to be? Come on, just talk back session. Nobody ever says pastor, except those that are wanting something. You know, that nobody ever says, when I grow up, I want to be a pastor. That's, that's never happened. Anybody, firefighters? Anybody want to be a firefighter? Teacher? Everybody want to be teacher? Um, anybody want to be mayor of their town? Nobody want to be in politics? We didn't know enough about it. Um, when, when we're growing up, that question gets presented to us of, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we always answer the question with a vocation. When I grow up, I want to be, my answer, I changed my, my depending on what day of the week it was and which movie I watched. Because when Top Gun came out, I got the flight jacket and I was going to be a pilot. And in the meantime, my bicycle was my plane riding through the neighborhoods and the streets. But typically when we're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? The question always tends to be on what we want to do and not what we want to be. And there's a big difference between what we do and who we are. And a lot of times our, our vocation gets tied in to our identity. And we talked last week about Paul in Acts chapter 18, where Jesus gives Paul this vision. He tells Paul, he says, hey, do not be afraid, but you go on speaking and you do not be silent. You, you got a message, you got a mission set out before you. He said, so there are many in this, in this city that are mine. Speak boldly, speak often. I'm going to go with you. There are people in this city who are mine. He said, for Paul, if we were to look at Paul in the eyes and say, Paul, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think Paul's answer would be, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, I'll do a lot of things. I'm going to be a tent maker. That's my job. But I want to be a disciple maker. And you can do your job and be a disciple maker. And for Paul, there was, there was no other thought. There was no other possibility outside of, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Because the moment that he had that encounter on that road on the way to Damascus, it changed his life forever. I mean, the whole trajectory of Paul's life has been changed. So today, what I want to look at over the next few moments is, what does it look like for you to be on mission wherever you are? Wherever you are. Because we're going to look at in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 12. But when Galio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul. And they brought him before the tribunal. This is nothing abnormal for Paul. Paul's always found himself to be in the hands of the law in some way, shape, or form. And here Paul is now being, there's a united attack against Paul. And so Paul has been taken to this pro-council before this tribunal. And this is the charge. This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Let me, let me help you with this. This is the religious people. They are bringing Paul because he doesn't worship like us, so he should be punished. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine that if, our, if people came to us and said, well, your church doesn't, you don't operate the way that you're supposed to and by the guidelines, so we're going to have to take your whole church before the pro council and figure out what to do with you. And this is Paul's situation. All Paul's doing is preaching the gospel, but the religious come in and they begin to attack because he's, he's doing it contrary to the law. Because Paul says, yeah, there was a law, but I am under grace. The, because I have Jesus, so there are these laws that I still obey, but it, it's a relationship for me. Because see, listen, there's a, there's a great move that is happening right here with Paul. He, he's, he's been in Corinth, and, and, and now he's moved on, and he's under attack because he's persuading people why this God is the Messiah. To the Jewish people who denied Jesus, he's telling them, this is the Messiah. This is the one that you've been waiting on, and he's, he's persuading them. There's a move of God happening, and I can tell you, whenever there's a move of God, religious people will always rise up and criticize. Because you're not doing it the way I, I did it. I, I went to church when I was a kid one time, and um, a friend invited us because there was free pizza and girls, and um, I went for the pizza because I was good. Um, I played baseball. I didn't need a relationship at that moment. And the pastor said, all right, let's pray. So he gets up in the pulpit and he begins praying. And then everybody else starts talking while he's praying. I'd never been to a Pentecostal church before. I grew up Baptist. This was not right. The only times that we ever raised our hands was if we were voting on what we wanted for potluck so it could go past our shoulder, everything else stayed below. And our fasting was from R-rated movies and Budweiser. That's what we fasted from. So this Pentecostal thing was a whole new thing for me. And I was like, these people are so disrespectful. This guy's trying to pray to God, and you're over here having your own little prayer. Like, y'all pay this guy. Let him do his job. It was, it was different. It was weird for me. But what I, what I found was, that was the religious part of me coming out. Like, why am I criticizing the person beside me who's praying just because the pastor's praying, they're praying, and then the thing I complain about is our church and nobody wants to pray. Anybody follow me on that one? So religious people are often just critics. They want to criticize. We have our moments where we'll just criticize. They're not doing it the way I want to. Or Hey, because if you're following the Holy Spirit, it's not going to look the same for everybody. He moves where he wants to move. He does what he wants to do. Our, our role as a, a church body, as followers of Jesus, is to follow the Holy Spirit, even when it looks weird, even when it looks like this is not normal, because what is not normal is oftentimes normal in the eyes of God. What is often what we call weird is supernatural in, in the realm of the spiritual. And religion is about control. I want to control the way that you meet God. I'll never forget. I was about 12 years old, and I'd come out of our youth building across this parking lot, and I was walking in the side door to cut through the sanctuary to go to the other side of the church. And when I and there, there was just some adults in the sanctuary talking, and as I walked through that door, I came face to face with my pastor. And he said, Robbie Foreman. I thought, man, he must have heard I just straightened all the chairs up in the youth room and just swept the floor, so he's going to give me some you know, some applause, and he goes, you better get that hat off in the sanctuary. This is God's house. And I was like, um, does God not live in the fellowship hall too? Like, that's where I just was over here. And then 
when, when I, if I see it again, I'm going to take your hat. Now, if you're in the fellowship hall, you can wear your hat. You can wear it outside in here. Mm -mm, you can't. You, but you go through these double doors down the hallway to the Sunday classroom. God doesn't live there. God only lived in, in my interpretation, God only lived in the sanctuary at our church, right? The Holy Spirit lived in the janitor closet because we never let that guy out. And so, um, and so I, was trying to, I was trying to figure these things out because as, as someone who is so young, I was being shaped, Right? Because it was really confusing for me to read passages about when we come in the presence of God and be like, you need to cover your head. And then I'd read a passage that would say things like, oh, everywhere we go, God's everywhere. So I, I should probably, should, am, I not, am I wrong for not wearing a hat everywhere I go and every time I go somewhere? It was this confusing thing of religion. And as I got older and I would attend churches, and I, I remember one, one time I had a hat on on stage. And I got the nastiest email from a lover of Jesus about how I was going to hell. I was like, well, you're singing with me, so you're probably going too, so we're all going to the same place. Because we get so caught up in our religion. We, we man-make religion. And we make it so difficult sometimes for people to come to God. We tell people, come as you are, we want you here. We know you're messed up, we want you here. And then they get here and we're like, oh, you're too dirty. You can't, uh-uh, we can't have any of that. When you get your relationship fixed with your spouse, you can come back. When you get off that addiction, you can come back. It's religion, trying to control how people worship God and come into the presence of God. But see, Jesus is about liberty. His word says that where the spirit of the Lord is, finish this with me, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is, we're not bound by religion. We're, we're freed, those chains that bound us are broken. Last week, I, I struggled going into this message because I felt in, in midweek preparation that we need to have an altar call. And that was so, I remember doing altar calls when I was a kid. And I was like, man, sometimes we tell people to go pray and they don't even move. Like they don't, they don't want to pray. And, and, and I got this sense from the spirit that just kept saying, Are you, do you want to run this thing or do you want me to run this thing? Do you want to run this thing? You want me to run this thing? And my first response was, I got this. And then I realized I don't. And I, I tried the whole sermon last week. So you don't have no idea what's going on up here besides I'm just speaking. But I'm battling like, I don't, we don't need to do that. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. But just let loose and let the Spirit do what he did. And this place was flooded with prayers. Answered prayers. God's answered many of those prayers this week. Just being open and saying, hey, we're not going to allow religion to creep in to control how we worship God. We're going to follow the Holy Spirit on what we need to do to worship God. Religion says this, that I increase. It's about what I can do. But Jesus says, I increase and you decrease. Because religion brings about self-righteousness. It's what I can do. I can do all these things to have a right relationship with God. If I go to church enough, if I serve enough, if I give enough, if I encourage enough people, if I pray enough, then I'm good. But those things don't work. To, to, to bridge that divide, those things, giving, serving, all those things I just said, those are all byproducts of being in a relationship with Jesus. You should want to do those things. And Jesus says, when it's about me, you get no credit. It's back to the illustration last week of when you build something, it's showing 
off the, the, the hammer that built the table instead of showing off how great this table is. It's, it's understanding that as followers of Jesus, we decrease daily to follow him more, to get out of this self-righteous religion that it's, it's about me. Whenever God begins to move, religious people always rise up. We see this here with Paul. Look what he says in verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galio said to the Jews, he says, if it, were, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or some vicious crime, O Jews, he said, I, I, I would have a reason to accept your complaints. But since it's a matter of questions about your words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves that I refuse to be the judge of these things. And Galio says, and, and he drove them out of the synagogue, drove them out from the tribunal, and they all seized Sethenes, who was the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him. <laughs> like, who caused the problem? Paul. Who got the beating? Not Paul. Some other guy was like, I'm just over here minding my business, and I'm getting beat for this. And they beat him in front of the tribunal. They literally drug him into the synagogue in front of the tribunal, and they beat him in church. But Galio paid no attention to any of this. He didn't want to have anything to do with any, any of this. So, verse 18 says this. After this, Paul, he stayed many days longer, and then he took leave of the brothers. He set sail for Syria. With him, Priscilla and Aquila. I want you to notice something right here. These two, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, kind of come up into the store. They're going to play a big part of the missionary journeys of Paul. But what I want you to understand here, every time we read that Paul's traveling, Paul's going to ministry, it always gives us names of people who are with him because Paul never does ministry by himself. He is always raising up disciples to be disciples. Right? I want you to pay attention to that as you read through the book of Acts. And he says when they were at um, Sincerea, he had cut his hair. Now, I don't know why the Bible wants us to know that, but Paul got a haircut. He found the great clips on the way. He got it cut. He's good. He was under a vow. It says, but they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and he re reasoned with the Jews. Remember earlier in chapter 18, where did Paul go as soon as he got to the city? He goes straight to the synagogue. He's always going to the synagogue. They reject his message. So then he comes and finds people who want to hear the gospel. And it says that he left them, but he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he said, I can't do that. I got to go. But on taking the leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and he greeted the church. And then he went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and he went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia. Phrygia is where the Black Eyed Peas came from. Um, and if you like the Black Eyed Peas, then we need to talk about music choices. There's not that great of a band, y'all. Sorry. Um, where's the love? I don't know. Um, but I want you to know something. They went to Galatia and Phrygia and, and look what they were doing. Paul does this. He is strengthening the disciples. The first trip, missionary journey, no disciples. Second one, no disciples. Third trip, everybody's becoming a disciple because it's taking root. Discipleship takes root. One of the biggest complaints or complaints or criticisms that we got in the first few years of our church was, I don't feel like you're doing what you said you were going to do. Um, yeah, because discipleship is crockpot, right? It's crockpot. It takes time. 
for people to become disciples. It's not an overnight popcorn. We don't put a popcorn bag in the thing. Here we are four years. I can tell you the disciples that we have made over and over and over again. And now we've even gotten to a more uh, intentional discipleship process where we're making year-long journeys of people in discipleship groups. We, We believe in strengthening the disciples. Now, if you were to ask Paul, so Paul knows that I want to be a disciple of Jesus, but if we were to go and ask Paul, if you were to ask him, where is your mission field? Where do you think Paul would say his mission field was? Everywhere. How many towns have we attempted to pronounce correctly in this passage? There's about five of them here. We're still in chapter 18. There were a ton of them right before this. Because Paul doesn't stay places long. And he's bouncing from place to place to place. Because everywhere he steps his foot is a mission field. So for Paul, geography was absolutely irrelevant to him. It was wherever I'm at is what I do. And then when I need some money, I'll go make, make my tents. So he says, wherever I am, I'm trying to to live out the mission. So being on mission is not about where you are. It's about who you are. It's a mindset. It's never about location. Yes, I would love for you guys to board a plane and go on a mission trip with the church. I would love that. I'd love for everybody. I think every person should experience an international mission trip or domestic mission trip at some point of your life. I think that should happen. But it doesn't mean that we only do missions overseas for seven days in the summer. We do missions every single day, individually, corporately, right here in our community and wherever it is that you may be. So Paul Paul understands this. And he's showing us that it's not about where I'm at. It's about who I am. And when I, wanted, I, when I met Jesus, I wanted to be his disciple. And I wanted to change lives and show people the transformation that Jesus can make. And I'm going to go from place to place to place to place. And I'm going to do these things so it comes about. Now, I want us to look at Matthew chapter 28. Because what does it look like? If, if missions is everywhere, and it's not a coordinates on a map, if it's everywhere... What does it look like to be on missions every day of your life? Where Jesus tells us, he says this. And Jesus came and he said to them, and I want you to read these words. Jesus came and said to them, what's the next two words right there? So how much authority? All authority in heaven. When Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, talking about him. Jesus says, so all this authority? That's on heaven and earth. I have authority on heaven and earth. It's been given to me. In other words, Jesus is saying, what I'm about to tell you next, you can take that on authority. It's going to happen. If Jesus walked in here and said, the Gamecocks are going to win the national championship this year. I don't care what you think. Jesus said it. I believe it. Now, if he tells me Clemson wins it this year, I got to go back to praying a little bit. And if he tells me Georgia's going to win it, that's a co-shared national championship because they had to beat South Carolina to get there. So I'll take it. He says authority. When Jesus says it, it's authority. Did you know that we've been given authority over this community to usher in the kingdom of heaven? We have that authority. What gives you the right to preach the gospel? Um, Jesus. He's placed us here, in this place, in this community, in Berkeley County, for such a time as this. And we have all authority to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. All authority. So Jesus says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now, 
Take it to the bank. You need to go. And that word go in the Greek is as you're going along, doing whatever it is that you do, go, whether it's going to the grocery store, if it's going to work, if it's going out on the date, if it's going to the park with your kids, whatever it might be, it is as you're going, I want you to do something. Make disciples of all nations. America's included in that. We make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Did you know we have missionaries from other countries coming to the United States to preach Jesus? Where, how far have we drifted as a nation? We make disciples baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We teach them to observe all that, all that what? We observe what? All that who? That Jesus commanded, because if we teach what we command and what we want, that's called religion. And he says, teach them all and to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we call that what? The great what? The Great Commission. It's the Great Commission. These are the final marching orders for his church, for his people. So as we go, he says, make disciples. And I know, and this is the first thing that comes to your mind for some of you. I don't think you know who I am to be making a disciple. I am not qualified. Let's be honest in this room. How many have ever been to that point when it comes to anything spiritual that you do not feel qualified? There's things that I come up in that is, is in a sermon series and I hit it and I was like, I am not qualified to talk about that. I can't even pronounce it. I got to figure it out. I got to go to Google. I got to type and see how do you say this. I got to break it down. We, we get so caught up in things that we think we're not qualified. So I, because I don't feel qualified, because I know what you're thinking too. This is Paul though. Paul's different, right? Paul's different. Paul knew the law. Paul had like high, yeah, I know he had like a normal job, but Paul like had major massive harvard seminary type prep so that's not me and we feel often that we're not qualified to make disciples but jesus tells us even today this message is still for us to teach them to obey all that i have commanded me because <laughs> you that's the question you need to ask is he talking to me is he talking to you is, is this is this me because I don't, I don't obey all that he's commanded. Right? Like this week. Y'all stop praying for me. I know you stopped praying for me because y'all put all your prayers in the building, which is fine. But in two weeks, I've taken two rocks to a windshield. And I saw them coming, and there's nothing I could do about it. I prayed that something magical would happen, and it would just come in and just lift or just matrix stop and move to the side. But two... And, I, and then they tell me they can't get me a new windshield until Monday. So for like last week, I've been looking at that being humbled over that. And I, I'm, when it hit, I'd love to tell you, I was like, thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to suffer for you. It's so good. No, it was, Lord, I need you to strike down fire on the Berkeley County landfill because it's their fault for not cleaning that road. Next week, I drive by the same spot, same spot, same spot. Same thing happens. Lord, did you miss what I said? Can you help? Like my mind has not been positive in that spot. I don't always obey everything I'm supposed to obey, but yet you're telling me to teach them to obey. 
And you got Peter in this crowd. I mean, if I'm in the crowd and you look at Peter, and Peter said a lot of dumb stuff. Like, let's just kick him out. Like, he, he picked, I mean, he stabbed somebody. We got to get, we got to get him out. And Jesus says, no, nah, he's going to make a good disciple. But he can't obey. I have a hard time obeying. And with, G with Peter, Jesus makes Peter the main guy. The main guy who leads this thing. He will go to preach in Acts chapter 1, and 3,000 people will come to know Jesus in one sermon. It was a long sermon, but it worked. If you feel unqualified, you will make great disciples. Because if you feel unqualified, guess who's decreasing? You. And in your weakness, you are made strong. That's what Paul said. You don't have to get to some high spiritual level before you can start making disciples. If you disciple people, even when you're messed up in a messed up state, it encourages other people to go, oh, I've been there too. I am there. I have the same thing. And it's iron sharpening iron. And you grow. Don't disqualify yourself from something Jesus has already qualified you to do. Because if you know he's qualified you for it and you called you to it and you don't do it, that is called disobedience. Now, how do I know that I can disciple somebody if I have a hard time obeying? Because he said, I'll go with you. That's why we, we don't call it the great mission. We call it the great co-mission because he goes with us. He's, he's beside us. And he's designed you for this. Look at Psalm 139. It says, for you formed me, and we always read this from a woman's perspective, but I want us to all read it as what it was intended for. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's room, and I praise you for I am what? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in what? God has given you gifts that he knows about that were made in the secret. He knows, he knows what you can do. Other people may count you out and say that you can't do this, but he knitted you. He made you. And it, and it says that your frame was not hidden when you were being made in the secret. You're intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Let's say this, you and I were put together on purpose. And if you want to take that a step further, you, you could say that you and I were put together on purpose for purpose. We already have what it takes. We already have it. We just have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to show us to, what to do. He gives us the power. He empowers us to be able to carry out the gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes we lean too much on our own things. We didn't get to pick the size of our gifts. But God gave us abilities, wants, desires. Psalms 139 tells us that those gifts are for who? Him. He's gifted you for Him. Think about it in this light of the Great Commission. You will make disciples in the way that He put you together. 
you may never make a disciple the way that I do. But I'll never be able to make a disciple the way that you do because you've been put together differently. Some of you can walk in a group of like 50,000 people and remember 50,000 names when you walk out. Am I right? You're social butterflies. You thrive on large environments to go in and meet new people. Some of you, I'm good. You, you want to test that when you get that birthday invitation for your kids? Do I have to go? Because we were all wired differently. Some of us think differently. We look at things differently. That's what makes up the body of the church and what makes it such a beautiful thing that we're so different. And when we know that we're to go make disciples, we make them in a way that he put us together. So to be on mission means as you go, it doesn't mean that you quit your job. It doesn't mean that you, you just quit everything right now. What it means is that you use your gifts to make disciples wherever you are. He says in Acts chapter 17, the God who made the world and everything in it, which would be us, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though God needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind. What does he give to us, mankind? Life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined, you ready for this? Having determined their allotted periods and boundaries for their dwelling. God, in in the middle of creation, laid out your steps. We are here in this place, not by accident, but by divine intervention. And you're here, listen, the dwelling place, you're here so that you can seek God and perhaps fill their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live, we move, and we have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. When you begin to live a life on mission, you begin to see that God has gifted you. And he has established you in the place where you are so that others can seek him. So however God has put you together and wherever he has placed you, you are on mission. Last year, the band's going to come up, but last year um, I, I made this decision to help assistant coach JV girls softball. I played baseball. I thought this would be easy. Softball is a completely different game. The ball comes completely different. You will embarrass yourself trying to hit a softball. I had I had to learn. I, I didn't I did not decide to help coach a JV softball team because I thought we could win a championship. We we didn't win a championship. I don't know if we won a game. We maybe we won one. But the purpose was, given time to that, put me around people, other coaches, parents, players, to bring in a little bit of the kingdom of heaven. Because there were frustrating moments that where people were ready just to throw bats at people and quit and walk off the team. And those are the moments that I felt called into to help encourage and cheer up and there was no fanfare, but it was just seeing, even volunteering through a life on mission. Just helping. Got to be here anyway. My daughter's playing, so I'm going to help. 
And I saw it as a mission. What is it that you have that you can, you can be a mission? Because Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill. Excuse me, because I always read this wrong. A city, what is that word? We don't place things without purpose. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under the basket, but on a stand it gives the light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I love this text because when I was in Israel, where Jesus was teaching in the Galilean area at night, you look up in the mountainsides that surrounded the sea and all you see are little pockets of light that just kind of, you see roads that just light the road up to the top of that, that mountain. And I can imagine Jesus, when he's teaching this, that there are little, little fires all over the mountainside that he's saying, this is, this is what it looks like. This is a city that's been set on this hill. It can't be hidden. It's bright. It's shining. That's what our lives are. So you may feel insignificant, but listen, as followers of Jesus, we fight for the souls of people in this community. That's what we've been assigned to. God has commissioned us to be on mission. He's placed us in this time. He's placed us in this town. He's placed us in this county. He has placed us and set us as a city on a hill. So let us not think that we're insignificant. I want to encourage you this morning that you and I have been called and we have been formed and we have been commissioned to be on mission. That's what we've been. So I want to pray for us this morning as we close that there, there's some conversation between you and God that need to happen of, am I fulfilling the mission? Have I, have I counted myself out? Have I disqualified myself because I feel like I don't have this gift or I can't do it like they can? Man, if every pastor would say, well, I can't preach like Billy Graham, so I won't preach. And nobody would be preaching because he had his own thing. He had his gift. You do you. Because God doesn't need you to be me. He doesn't need you to be your spouse. He needs you to be you because he has delicately and strategically knitted you and made you in such a way for you to be unique and disciple because you're going to disciple people that the rest of us will not have the opportunity to disciple because of the way God made you for purpose. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much this morning for your mission. Because we were a part of the mission when we needed you and somebody came and shared the gospel with us. So it was because of somebody being on mission that helped us discover who you were. And I pray this morning that, God, we would break down those barriers where we feel unqualified or I just can't do it and I don't know how to do it. God, we'll help anybody in this room learn how to disciple. But, God, we will not let them sit in what they think is disqualification because you have qualified us through your cross and i just pray that we would realize that, that you want to use us and you not only want to use us you've commissioned us because you believe in us to be carriers of the gospel message of your son jesus so in this moment i just pray as we respond that god would open our, our hearts and hear open our minds open our our ears to hear the message and let it transform us this morning and I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen.